It is our tradition to stand for the reading of the word. If you're a guest, please, we invite you to join and stand. I'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter one, a familiar story. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, they became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man because he didn't want to humiliate her. He decided to call for their engage, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. And he was thinking about this, and an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and he took Mary as his wife. The word of God. Thank you, and you can be seated. If you were here last week, I learned a lesson. I learned if you say this out loud, tamales, neato, something happens. Tamales showed up in our office this week. Tamales for all the pastors. Neato, thank you. So, pupusas. Enchiladas, egg rolls, pumpkin pie, apple pie, cheesecake, brownies, chocolate, all the things. We love La Sierra. You know, the tamales are exceptional. Thank you so much. Listen, friends, Matthew is on a journey with this story. He begins the conversation and he is zero to 90 just like that. Zero to 90 in a conversation, I can't keep up with him. No warnings, no sweetening of the deal, no conditions for Mary and and Joseph. Matthew is out the gate with how this will happen. Mary was found to be with child, the text says, by the Holy Spirit. I cannot think of a time in my life where I would have felt what Mary must feel in this moment. I cannot think of a time where that level of anxiety and terror I could understand. But in this story, the storyteller just keeps going almost deep, well, a little bit, uh, a little bit sloppy, I would say, with the details and the storytelling, just careless. Mary seems to be found with child and then he keeps talking. Mary, verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and He did not want to expose her to the public disgrace. Joseph had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Matthew keeps moving at 90 miles an hour like this. Joseph learns she's pregnant. Joseph learns that that the angel counsels with with Joseph. The baby will be born. Now they're on the move. They're going to the next city. Before you know it, Herod's after them to kill the baby and, and they're on to the next place and the boy Jesus grows. 
And the story takes off. And I am paralyzed back there with Mary at the sentence, Mary was found to be with child. Is that found like a lost backpack? Is that found like a guilty thief? Mary is found to be with child and the storyteller just drives right on by. Mary's story is one verse. She doesn't talk. She's never spoken to. No one counsels with her. As I like to say in these stories with Mary, everyone talks about her, but no one talks to her. And I'm paralyzed by the one sentence. She's found to be with child, depending upon your Bible translation. She's found to be, or she was uh, discovered to be. Whatever happened to Mary, her future is now not bright. It is an anxious advent for Mary. When I use the word anxious today, I mean to say this, a feeling of worry or nervousness or distress about something uncertain in the future. A feeling of nervousness that we can't shake. I don't mean to talk about diagnosable disorders for which we seek healthcare professionals when our anxiety is so out of control that we cannot navigate in our lives. Friends, this is when we reach for a therapist. I'm talking more about that underlying anxiousness that we just can't seem to shake, that anxiety that doesn't go away even while we're eating the tamales and the pupusas that anxiety. Anxious advent for Mary. Someone last week was a guest here and caught me after church and said, what is advent? I told the person, this is this rhythm of time, these weeks leading up to the birth of Jesus where we sit still and we imagine again what it's like for Christ to be born. These four weeks where we, we, we long for a fresh birth of Jesus. And this person said to me, I think you're the only Adventists who know about it. I said, don't you think that's kind of strange since we're Seventh-day Adventists? Belonging and the appearing for Christ, right? During these weeks leading up, somewhere I think in the 11th century, Advent lasted 11 weeks, but people couldn't handle it. It was just too gloomy and too heavy, so it was shortened so we could bear it. It's an anxious Advent for Mary. How is it for you? Mary has some options when she feels anxiety, and I think I would like to make sure I make this part very clear. Mary has options. She can take inventory, right? Because she didn't get a helper in her story. We, we would, we're eager to just switch over to Luke now because Luke has this much more charming and generous story for Mary. She gets her own angel and she gets to counsel and ask questions and she receives comfort and she gets to think about it. She gets to ponder in her heart. She gets to go to her Elizabeth relative friend and receive comfort and a home warming and stay for a little while. And Mary gets to choose. It's tempting to move over to Luke's story right now. Church, I encourage you to hold still when the story's uncomfortable. What is Matthew telling us? Mary knows a couple of things. First of all, she's with child, and that's a problem. For that, she can simply be stoned. She can be stoned by herself. She can be stoned with the man, whoever's child this is. 
or her brother and her father could with honor go ahead and kill them, kill her themselves. That's an honor killing. This is one of Mary's options. She is pregnant and it's a problem. She knows this much. Number two, she knows that she lives in a culture of terror. We can pull any headline today from any worldwide news story. It can be Ukraine, it can be Syria, it can be El Salvador, it can be anywhere in the world today. It will match what Mary's life has known because a Herod is in charge and his job is to keep the territory safe and quiet for Rome, right? It is economic control, it is military control, it is power in every sense of the word. Oh, Mary has known this since the time she was a little girl. Mary has lived in this kind of terror with, with people grabbing and taking what they want. So Psalm 120, we've been saying these last weeks, when Mary cries Psalm 120 as she makes her way to Jerusalem, as she taught it to the boy Jesus, I am for peace, but when I cry for peace, they cry for war. Mary has lived this life already. This is simply the next chapter in a terror that's very real for her. But she also knows that she's in with a nation and a family, Israel, that time and time again has rose, risen up. Oh, peasants do revolt. Mary knows this about her family history. She is pregnant. That ends in death, and she lives in a time of terror with Herod, and that's not so new to her. But the storyteller goes on, Matthew 1, verse 17, and this is actually where I think Mary has some other help. There's another storyline, another plot working. The headline's not so flashy here. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, 14 from the exile in Babylon to Christ. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all of them right now. But this is the headline to the next story. Mary can simply look over her shoulder and listen to her own family, buried within these generations. Remember, these storytellers, men, usually tell the stories of men, which is what makes this so unusual. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, who was the mother of Tamar. And now we get a listing of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. And by the way, over the last 10 years that I've been here, all of the pastors on our team have preached this story so beautifully. If you want to hear more about the women in this genealogy, we can direct you to several sermons on our website. But if Mary is listening as she looks over her shoulder and taps into her family story, she sees not one, not two, not three, but four women troubled by terror. It's interesting because Matthew, if he simply wants to name, well, if he just wants to name women who weren't Jewish, there's a few of those. If he simply wants to name women who made bad choices and got into some trouble, because Mary maybe wonders, is that what's happened? There's a lot of those. If Matthew wants to name women who've had difficult pregnancies, difficult time conceiving, he could pull on Sarah and Hannah. There's a cluster of women, Rachel. He could name those, but he doesn't. He goes for Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, all of them with wildly violent stories that are their life context. Mary looks over her shoulder and she sees these sisters. These are the mentors 
in the family tree. There is another storyline here if Mary listens. More than one option when we feel anxious, friends. Advent anxiousness, Advent anxiety, it's real. And if you lived through the last week in the United States of America, it's more real. We have options when we're feeling anxious. Last week I asked, who profits from our anger when we feel angry? This week I wanna ask, who profits from our anxiety? It's a real question. When we feel anxious, who is it around us who might profit from keeping us in a state of anxiety and confusion? We might have to think about that for a little while. When I feel anxious, is it profiting anyone else? Those with whom I work, those in my community, the relationships that I keep, the people that I think are important to me, is anyone profiting over me staying anxious? Now I realize telling an anxious person to not be anxious is ridiculous. Like telling a turtle to hurry up, right? I had this conversation with a young adult a few weeks ago, one whom I love deeply, and she said to me, Mom, it's not logical, it's real. You got it? So please hear me today. This is not a 20-minute homily that says, stop feeling anxious. I understand that challenge. Who's profiting over us feeling anxiety? And where have we maybe learned it along the way? This is a real question, friends. What's our environment and do, do we need to shift anything, right? Have I put my, myself in spaces and places with anxious people and anxious voices? Am I aware of my surroundings when it comes to anxiety? I was sitting in the airport a few weeks ago. There was a man uh, sitting next to me in a cafe trying to order food, and he kept saying to the server, but do you have anything healthy? We're in an airport, first of all. But do you have anything more healthy? More health, I need something more healthy. The guy next to him said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Melbourne. We eat healthy. The guy said to him, you're in Atlanta now. <laughs> this is the South. My friend, no, you're not going to get anything healthy. <laughs> Pay attention to our surroundings. Where, have, where are we placing ourselves? Maybe we need to get off some ledges. Check out this woman. She is standing on a no longer used chimney stack. I believe it's in Romania. She is 600 feet off the ground, and if you look carefully, she's standing on somebody's shoulders. Do you see it? This is in a report with the BBC saying about, I don't know, 250, 300 people have died from taking selfies the last few years. Maybe we need to get off the ledge. Do you have some ledges in your life you could step down from? That's a real question. What are your surroundings and who are your anxious people and who's profiting from keeping you anxious? It's like, uh, it's like uh, years ago when Weight Watchers was by Krispy Kreme here in Riverside. <laughs> well, that's just dumb. We have some ledges we could probably get off of if we take inventory in our lives. 
Sometimes these can be decisions, especially when we surround ourselves with people who are in the decision with us. So I've made some decisions the older I'm getting. There are things I'm not gonna be anxious about anymore. When our girls were little, I used to wait up at night sitting on the front steps of the house waiting for their daddy to come home who was on call at the hospital as a resident, medical student and then a resident. When Amanda was a baby, I spent more nights on the front steps at 1 a.m. worried. What will I do if her daddy doesn't come home one night? I am so grateful God has taken that worry. But see, they're real, right? For me, I think them through. That's how I get out of the anxiety. That's one way. But another way is to simply say, I'm going to stop it for a while. I'm going to try this spiritual practice, and I'm going to surround myself with people. So I'm no longer gonna feel anxious about when people are coming and going and if they're checking in with me and if I know everyone is safe in my life. I'm not gonna be anxious about how people, their assessment of how I'm living my life and the choices I'm making. I'm gonna stop being anxious about what I'm wearing. Good grief, whatever, I'm wearing clothes. I'm gonna stop being anxious about the parties and the circle and the social and what am I missing and who, who left me out. I'm not worrying about that anymore. I'm going to stop being anxious about the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. I am tired of that. I can get off that ledge. We can all get off of that ledge because community, this Holy Spirit, and the Jesus tribe is already alive and well. There are some ledges, friends, you can get off to. I'm not going to be anxious about some things I think I can work on. There are other things. Listen, if you're a retirement age today and you're watching the markets yesterday, I get it. And do you see, it is so far out of our reach and our control. This is why our Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything. What ledge do you need to get off? What ledge can we all get off? Second thing I'm learning from Mary's story is to listen for that other storyline. When she looks over her shoulder, she's got four women, four mentors, four people who, at least four people who have gone through terror. My guess is all around us sitting here today and where you're going for your holiday meals and the people that you'll be FaceTiming with around the world, all of us have voices in our lives who can mentor us through our anxiety. We are surrounded by people who have been here. Just take a look today. Check each other out before you go. I can see three of you right now I would call this week about my anxiety. Isn't that beautiful? I think we sometimes forget that the Spirit already has solutions planted all around us. Solutions we've not yet seen. I'm also, so with Mary, and you look to your mentors, you ask them the question, where do you find comfort? How did it work for you? How did you work your way out of it? How long did it take? What should I expect? These are things people can help us with. I'm also wondering if part of the reason we struggle with our anxiety is because of expectations we've put in place. Where did we get the idea that life wouldn't be anxious for us? Where did we get the notion, where did I get the notion that it ought not feel this way? 
Where did we get the notion that we can control these things if we work carefully enough in our environment and in our contexts and with our choices? Friends, where did that come from? My mother, from the time I was a little girl, was worried she was gonna die of cancer. And so it finally became a family joke. She'd get a pain in her knee and my dad would say, you have cancer. She'd wake up with heartburn and my dad, oh, you have cancer. Because she would walk around the house all the time. Every few weeks, I think I might have cancer. <laughs> Go to the doctor, oh, it's not cancer, it's bronchitis. <laughs> oh, I think I might have cancer, it's not cancer, it's a bunion, I can have surgery. So when she got diagnosed with her need for, for, a valve, or for heart, well, valve work and vessel work on her heart, after everyone kind of calmed down, the morning they took her to surgery, around her bed, all four of us were saying, Mom, it's not cancer. And guess what? She still died. Where did we get the idea? We ought not have these outcomes. Where did we get the idea we could control our circumstance? For friends, this is what the great conflict narrative is all about in this life. It comes to all of our homes in various ways. Where do we get the notion it should not be this way? I've been reading the bloggers, and if you're not on this website, put it on the screen. Add it to your reading list the next few weeks because several of your church members have taken time to reflect on their longing for peace, hope, joy, and love. It is worth your time. They're short, and I'm noticing this, there's a theme, there are themes that connect many of them in a variety of ways they express and in their own writing styles. What I'm hearing again and again in some of these blogs is this paradox that emerges that somehow we're seeking peace, joy, love, and hope in a world that doesn't offer us peace, joy, love, and hope. We're standing out here asking God for it and wondering how to generate it and creating environments for it all the time, living in a world that is not full of peace, joy, love, and hope. Many of the bloggers talk about this, but it is our youngest blogger, Aiden Mallory, I would like to reference this morning. Aiden, who is inspired by the Holocaust survivor, the Nobel laureate, uh, Elie Wiesel, Elie Wiesel, a Holocaust survivor, Nobel laureate, I said, all right? So one of the reflections Aiden said, after reading from uh, Elie's writing, Aiden says, maybe being for peace means that you have to be willing to give up being at peace. That's a teenager, by the way. Maybe being people for peace, for the visions of God, the dreams of God means we forfeit giving up being at peace, always feeling like we are at with joy and with love in our lives. Maybe we adjust our expectations. I've been thinking about this for weeks now because we say often around here that everyone is safe and everyone ought to be well, but maybe we're not called to a life of safety. Maybe we're not called to a life of peace or a life of joy or a life of hope. We are called to the person, Jesus Christ. When I'm called to the person, Jesus Christ, and the gospel, that's completely different. So maybe we adjust our expectations. I keep some books on my shelf that I never open. 
Here's one of them. The US intelligence and the Nazis. This book I got a few years ago at um, Holocaust Museum in Washington, DC, and it had just been released. This is the declassified report. Many decades later, after the Holocaust and the war and the Nazis, what do we know? What do we know that was classified that we don't really want to talk about? I keep this book on my shelf. I keep another book called The CIA's Use of Interrogation. I have not opened it. But I look at the titles to remind myself, we will always live in this context until Jesus one day comes and makes the earth new friends. This is our reality. This is it. We live in the waiting room of life. You don't like the waiting room? I don't like the waiting room either. Once I had to live in the waiting room for a few days when Elisa was born because of an infection, this was the real solution from the doctor. Well, we'll just put you in the waiting room and you'll stay there and we'll bring your medication to you and we'll hang your IV and, like that is not a solution. Well, the baby can't go back up to the ward, and you have an infection, so you can't go there, so we'll just put you in the waiting room. Do you know what happens in the waiting room? <laughs> That's a book I'm gonna write one day. That's a book to write. Look at the people waiting for the Metrolink. Look at the people in line at the Apple store. Look at the people in the dentist's office. God bless them. Look at the people in the waiting rooms of life, friends. We sit in the waiting room because we don't have the solutions. The waiting room is where we go when it's out of our control. So here we are, the last Sabbath of Advent, confessing. It is out of our control. We will always live with light in the context of darkness. We'll always live Speaking of peace in a context of war. We'll always live speaking of hope in a context of despair until God makes the earth new. But I am reminded in Mary's story that God will meet us where we are, not where we hoped to be. God will meet us where we are, not where we thought our life path would take us. God will meet us where we are, not where our 401k will take us in 35 years. God will meet us where we are, even if someone dragged you to church here today and you don't even wanna be here. We are not creating God's future, God is creating it and we will join God in that future, friends. That is the beauty of this story. There is only one savior and it is not us. We shall call his name Emmanuel, and the government's on his shoulder. I don't have to worry about the garbage coming across my newsfeed. The government is on God's shoulder this morning. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Prince of Peace. I am learning to, to develop a deep, muscular, gutsy, defiant hope. That's what I long for, for all of you. Exchange anxiety for a deep, gutsy, defiant hope. I had a, we had an angel on our rooftop a few years ago, a, you know, like a, I don't know, Gabriel angel with a horn and all those twinkly lights, Christmas decorations. We had two of them. Kirby thought we should get a third one so we'd have 
Revelation 14. We only had two. We were in the incomplete version of Revelation 14. One of the angels tipped over. She's just hanging on by her skirt. I drove up one night in the dark and she's hanging on by her skirt. The next morning the neighbor came over. You know my neighbor now. Can I fix the angel for you? She's had a little accident. I said, no. We're going to leave her that way. We're going to leave her that way. It feels a little more authentic to muscular, deep, rugged, defiant, gutsy hope, doesn't it? The decorations are not all perfect. The angel is danging, dangling from my roof. And I'm okay with that because I want to ex- exchange that anxiety for this other hope, friends, because what God can do with people who are not anxious is amazing. This week, we stood, a few of us, on Thursday down at the Grove, our sister church, where these four homes have been opened, 600 foot square homes. You all are part of this. Your name is listed in the commendations to the community partners because we bought a little bit of patio furniture that cost 1,200 bucks, big deal. But it's enough patio furniture for four families that will move into these homes, these 600 square foot homes. These are families who can move out of the shelter, the path of life, but they can't find housing quite yet, so they'll move into these homes. And the Grove will do life alongside them and provide them the services they need to get strong and stable in the world. And they'll move on, and then the next four families will move in, and then the next four families, and so it will go. It's a small, huge gift in Riverside. $700,000 project that cost the church nothing. Oh, because their work begins now. Families are moving in on Christmas. Guess who needs to love four new families? I would love, we would love our church to be next in line for projects like this in the city of Riverside Church. After the new year, we're gonna call a community meeting, we're gonna come together and think on it and work on it and get very serious because God can do that kind of work with us when we're not anxious about our lives. It is the fourth Sabbath of Advent with Mary. I wanna lay my anxiety down. I invite you into that journey right alongside with me. Thanks be to God. Amen.